Our scripture reading today is from Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 40 through 2, 17. It's also on page 6 in your bulletin. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And he returned to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him to the paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they, laid, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word now, you have something here for us. You have life for us. As we have already said and prayed and sang, our deepest need is for forgiveness. And in these words, you call us to that forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. So, Holy Spirit, take these words, apply them to our hearts, and indeed breathe new life into us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I welcome you as well this morning if you're visiting with us. My name is Owen Hughes and I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad that you came to be with us uh, today, if you've been here for a while, you know that we're in the book of Mark. We started it a few weeks ago, and good news, we just finished up chapter one of Mark. 
only 15 more chapters to go. So we should be uh, done with it by the end of this year, but that's why I'm kind of taking bigger uh, chunks of this book to, um, to kind of uh, go through so that we're not in it for like five years. But there's so much in here for us. As I said uh, last week, Mark is a fast-paced book. It's kind of a YouTube shorts kind of book. He wants us to see in these little scenes that move so quickly, he wants us to see one thing, and that is Jesus. He wants us to see that Jesus is the king, and that Jesus as king brings a kingdom. The very first thing that Jesus says in the book of Mark He declares the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe this good news. What Mark is doing in his fast-paced book is to draw our attention to who Jesus is, what he is doing, and why he is doing it. And so this morning we're going to look at three scenes. They all show us who this king is and the healing that he brings. We're going to see this morning that the healing king is willing, he is forgiving, and he is calling. So let's jump into this first scene, the scene with this leper. And we're going to see here how Jesus the king has a willing heart. The healing king is willing to heal. Back in the time of Jether called leprosy. Leprosy was a highly contagious skin disease. And you can read about how the community was supposed to deal with somebody who had leprosy all the way back in the book of Leviticus, which is at the beginning of the Bible. Leviticus 13 and 14 have all these laws of what happens if you have uh, leprosy. A person who contracts leprosy was supposed to go to the priest And the priest was the one who was going to diagnose the condition and then give a remedy for the condition. And trust me, you should all be thankful that I am not your doctor and that you don't have to come to me with your illnesses because you don't want to know what I'm going to do because I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. But here is what a person with leprosy was supposed to do. If they were diagnosed with leprosy, Leviticus 13, 45 through 46 says this. Listen to what somebody with leprosy, what they were supposed to do. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of their head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has this disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you are a 28-year-old. You are married and you have three little children. They're at that great age. They're five and three and one and a half. And they're super cute. You've been working hard at your trade and you're starting to see some success. You've bought a little house and you have plans for the future and you are grateful for what God has given you. And then one day you wake up and you see a spot on your arm and it doesn't look right. And a few days later it gets worse. 
So you go to the priest, and they examine it, and you wait a little bit longer, and then that priest declares, you have leprosy. Your life is over. You are exiled from your family, from your friends, and from your community. You are not allowed to have any human contact unless it's with somebody else who has leprosy. Leper colonies are a real thing. One modern-day doctor used to send his patients home who had leprosy with a cat so that that can of those who have leprosy. I say all this not to sensationalize leprosy. I say all this because this leper in this story is desperate. He has nothing. He has nobody. He doesn't have a community. He doesn't have friends. He is all alone. His desperation can be sensed in this beautiful story. For he is a hopeless man who is all alone. And he comes to Jesus. And it says here, That as he comes to Jesus, he implores him and kneels down before him. We don't really get the sense, really, but what this man does is he gets in front of Jesus face to face. He gets so close to Jesus, and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. Those words have such insight. And yet those words are such sadness. You see, he knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. That's why he says, you can make me clean. This leper's been watching Jesus. Watching him heal other people. Watching him cast out demons. He knows that Jesus is powerful. That's the insight this leper has. The sadness is this. He doesn't know if Jesus is willing To heal him. What is Christ's attitude toward the leper? That's the sadness. He knows the power of Jesus, but will he heal him? I want you to pause there for a moment. Is that you and me this morning? We believe that Jesus is powerful to save. He is powerful to change lives. In fact, maybe many of you in this room have seen him do that. And honestly, if others come to you with their deep pain and sin and sorrow and sadness, and they say, do you think Jesus can forgive me? You would be the first one to say, absolutely. Jesus can heal you. He can save you. He can forgive you. But, Deep down, do you wonder if Jesus can save you? If he is willing to heal you? Look at Jesus here. Look at his heart for this leper. No, the word pity, it says that Jesus is moved by pity, does not carry the full weight. Jesus has a deep indignation toward this man, but not toward him, but towards the sin that has caused all of this in this man. Jesus is angry, not at this man, not at this leper's diseased fingers that are touching him or his corroded face that is looking at him. Jesus is angry with sin, the curse of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin. But Jesus is moved by his love for this man 
Because he sees dignity in this man. He sees the image of God in this man. And that stirs him to hate sin. And he holds this man's diseased, destroyed body and life. And you can almost see the smile on Jesus' face and the kindness in his words as he looks upon this man and he says, I will be clean. The very first thing that I saw when I walked into this church, this was over a year and a half ago now, we walked into this church to purchase this church. When we walked through that door, was that picture behind you on that stained glass window. Now, I'm not a big stained glass guy, but that picture is a picture of Jesus with his hands out like this. Because this Jesus is willing to save you. He is willing to heal you. And immediately, this man is healed. Friend, it's not just that Jesus has the power to heal you. He is willing to heal you. He wants to heal you. Jesus goes on and gives a directive to this leper. The directive, I'm sure that Jesus knew deep down this man was not going to keep. But he tells him anyway, don't say anything to anybody. Instead, go to the synagogue and offer up the appropriate sacrifices. He says this. Jesus says this. And this is important for us to kind of to, to set our minds on. When Jesus heals you, he heals you for obedience. He heals this man and then tells him to go back to church and to obey the law. Jesus Christ heals this man for obedience. But this man can't keep that full directive. He goes and starts telling everybody about what has happened to him. The news is too good. He's back. He's back in the community. He's back with his friends. He's back with his family. And because of all of this good news that this man shares, all these people start getting stirred up. And Jesus ends up, think about that for a moment. Do you see the reversal? The leper, who was a social outcast, who lived in the desolate places outside of camp, was brought in to the community, and Jesus went to the desolate places. We're going to see this again throughout the book of Mark, but we see it so clearly on the cross, where on the cross, Jesus Christ is totally and completely rejected by the Father. So that we can be totally and completely accepted by the Father. The story goes on. The next scene happens. Jesus goes back to Capernaum, his home base. And whether this is his home or whether it's the home of Simon Peter, it's not really clear. There's some speculation about that. But this healing and willing king is in high demand. And when he comes back, everyone starts flocking to him. But what does he do? He takes the opportunity, Jesus takes the opportunity to preach the good news. Because that is Christ's mission. To preach the good news. When you repent and believe in him, then you are saved. The story of the paralytic is a pretty famous story. I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but if you haven't, it's a beautiful story of beautiful friends who have this deep love for a disabled friend 
As they desperately want to get to Jesus, these friends know that Jesus has the power to save and to heal, and they believe it, that he is willing to heal. And nothing can stop these men from getting their friend to Jesus, not even a roof. Roofs back in these days were flat. They were beams with latticework and then inches of mud that were on top. These, these roofs were stable enough for people to go out there and stand on like a deck. And yet these men decided to tear it up. Because nothing was going to stop them from getting their buddy to Jesus. You know, there's a tenacity here that we see from these friends that challenges us. In fact, even the leper coming to Jesus and imploring him, kneeling down before him, these friends tearing open a roof to get to him, there's a tenacity that should inspire us. One of the things I've been saying is that this year I want you to write down three names of three people that you want to see changed by Jesus. To have them in front of you, to be praying for them, for bringing them constantly before Jesus Jesus wants us to bring our needs and the needy before him. My brother-in-law is a pastor uh, with RUF, Reform University Fellowship, the same uh, ministry that Cam Smith is a part of, and he's a minister down at Williamsburg at William and Mary. And this is what he says evangelism is. He says this, evangelism is telling the ones we love about the God we love and telling the God we love about the ones we love. That is exactly what these men are doing. They are bringing their friend before Jesus to heal him. And they make access for this disabled man to get to Jesus. They lower him and Jesus doesn't look at the ruined, lo- the, the ruined roof as they lower him through it. He doesn't look at the mess that they have made with dirt and mud all over the place. He doesn't see the inconvenience that they have caused. Now I have a huge hole in this roof. In fact, Jesus doesn't even look at the useless legs or the helpless body of this man. Jesus looks right through all of that. And he sees the man's heart. You see, Jesus sees the greatest need that this man has. It's not to walk. It's not to be physically healed. It's not to get his life back. It is to have all of his sins completely and totally forgiven. My friend, what is your and my greatest need? Well, our greatest need is to get right with a holy God. Our greatest need is a savior to save us from all of our sins. But we don't believe that, do we? We think our greatest need is that we just need $10,000 more in our bank account and then we can retire. We think our greatest need is just for our spouse to pay more attention to us. We believe our greatest need is to either get married and have kids and get into college and get a good job. Moby is a musician 
If you are a Gen Xer, you know who Moby is because it was back in the 90s. I was listening to a podcast and Moby was talking about his greatest desire. His greatest wish was to be famous. And back in the 90s, uh, one of the highest awards you could get was an MTV award. And that was a pretty big deal. And he won it one year. Uh, best artist or new artist of the, of the year or whatever award. He was in his penthouse. And there were three penthouses up there. And Madonna, a huge superstar, lived, or was staying in one of them. Jay-Z, another huge superstar, was staying in another one. And then he was staying in one. He had made it. His greatest wish had become a great reality. And he said as he was in that penthouse on that evening that he won this great award, he said that all he was trying to do was to figure out how to open up these windows that were, had that security latch so they would only open up about three inches. He was trying to open them up so he could throw himself out because he said he was so empty and desperate he just wanted to die. Moby got what he thought he wanted that would bring meaning and purpose, and yet it left him emptier than before. My friends, Jesus is not going to give you what you think you really want or what you wish for. Jesus is going to go so much deeper. What is your deepest wish? What is it that you say, God, if you just gave me this, I would be completely happy and I'll never ask you for anything ever again. In other words, what are you settling for? Out of Christ's kindness, he will not give you what you want, but he will actually give you what you really need. But many times that comes through brokenness. My friend, if you are here this morning and your life is falling apart, perhaps it is actually falling into place. Perhaps Jesus is showing you that you are settling and he has something more for you. And out of your brokenness comes beauty. Yesterday we watched um, the Netflix documentary on Fred Rogers And it's a wonderful documentary. I uh, highly recommend it to you. Uh, Mr. Rogers has this amazing compassion for the marginalized and the weak and the disabled and the broken. And they said that his childhood, though, he was very rough. As a child, he was actually fat. And they called him Fat Freddy. And his wife said this, that Fat Freddy shaped his compassion for others. One of his friends said this, if there was no Fat Freddy, there would be no Mr. Rogers. His trauma shaped his compassion. And that goes for this paralytic man as well. His paralysis brought him to a place where his deepest man looked back at this moment and thought, if I was not a paralytic, I would have never been let down through that roof. I would have never met Jesus and I would never have my deepest need met. If I had never met Jesus, then I would never have had my sins forgiven. You know, this is the way that God works, isn't it? It's when your life falls apart before your eyes, it's actually falling into God's plan. In this scene, Jesus takes the man deeper. For this healing, willing king is a forgiving king. Look at how he addresses 
this man. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. One point here that I read this week that a pastor made I thought was was beautiful. He said this, forgiveness means you are free from shame and guilt to go. But adoption means you are free to stay. Forgiving you of your sins means you have no more guilt and shame. But Jesus goes one step further and he adopts this man into his family by calling him son. Jesus is using the family word of son here. You can see Christ's compassion that not only frees the man from guilt and shame, but then says, you are now mine, part of my family. 1 John, which is a letter later on in the New Testament, 1 John 3 says this, see what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. This healing, willing king forgives and adopts this man into his family. And this shocks the Pharisees. Who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Now, I want to be clear here. The Pharisees are 100% right. They have good theology. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven. It's like this. I'll pick uh, two names out of the air. Lottie and Thomas. And just say that Thomas pushes over Lottie. And Lottie falls over and scrapes up her knees. And I walk over to Thomas and I say, Thomas, you are forgiven. And Lottie says, who are you to forgive him? He offended me. He didn't offend you. That's exactly what happens here. Jesus is saying, you're saying, only God can forgive sins. You know, the Pharisees, we'll talk about them in a moment, they love their theology. And they had good theology, but their theology was neck deep. It only went here. It never went to their hearts. They had head knowledge, but not heart knowledge My friends, do you know a lot about God, who he is and what he did, but you don't have true faith in Jesus and what he can do? Jesus knows their thoughts and he addresses them. And he addresses them with something even more shocking. He says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or you are healed? And I think think you would agree, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven Because that's not qualifiable or quantifiable, right? I can say, oh, your sins are forgiven. But you can't see that. But then Jesus doubles down. And he says, I have the power not just to forgive sins, but also to heal. And he says, I have the power to forgive sins because I am the son of man. Why is that important? For us, maybe we'd just read over that. We wouldn't really understand that unless... We look back at the Old Testament. Back in Daniel 7, the Son of Man is this mysterious character that shows up. And that the Ancient of Days, God himself, says to this Son of Man, you are now the ruler of everything on earth and everything in heaven. It means you have authority and power and glory over all things. The Son of Man is not to be messed with. The Son of Man comes to rule over everything. And Jesus says, that's 
me. My friend, that's who you have to contend with. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of man? That he is the ruler of all things? And Jesus says, not only do I have the power to forgive sins, but I'll prove it by healing this crippled man. And he tells the man to rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. The man hops up, grabs his stuff, and off he goes. The people are amazed. We've never seen anything like this, they say. But do you notice what they don't do? They do not repent and believe. My friends, that's going to be a theme. You can see God do amazing things. You can even believe in God. The demons believe in God. But do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you repent and believe in him? The last scene we see of this healing, willing, forgiving king is telling the Pharisees and us who he came to call. Look at this last scene here, verse 13. Again, he's out and about. Jesus is walking by the sea. And he comes to this man named Levi. Matthew is another name for him. In fact, Matthew wrote another book in the Bible, the book right before Mark. And Matthew was another unlikely author. You see, Matthew was a tax collector. And he was not liked by the Jews. And in fact, he wasn't really liked by the Romans either. You see, tax collectors were Jewish men who had made an alliance with the Romans to gather taxes from the Jewish people. They worked for the man. They were part of the establishment. They were given a quota these tax collectors, and everything they met, they got to uh, give, they gave to the Roman Empire, and everything above that, they got to keep for themselves. Tax collectors, therefore, were extortioners, and they were corrupt, and they were greedy. Tax collectors were also considered traitors by the religious people, because they aligned themselves with the government and with Rome, and therefore, they were considered the worst of the worst. Matthew was not somebody that we would want in this church. He was greedy. He was corrupt. And he worked for people that we don't like. And this is exactly who Jesus calls. You see, Matthew was considered a traitor, an outcast, just like that leper, a social pariah, but that is exactly who Jesus is looking for, the unlikely to follow him. He calls, and what happens? Matthew drops everything and follows him. And that night, Matthew has a big party for Jesus, and he invites all his other tax collector buddies and all these other sinners, along with people that were following Jesus, and they have a big party together. Now, the way that it was set out, it was basically, um, I don't, we used to live in a, in a neighborhood, Park Forest. And at night, I would take the dog for a walk. One of my favorite things to do was to look in other people's windows. I know, it's creepy. But I wasn't like going up. I was always staying off their property. But, you know, you kind of look and like, say, who's, who's eating late? You know, what are they watching on Netflix? Um, and you just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of take, take a look. And that is exactly what's happening here. These Pharisees see this party going on and the scene and they are horrified. Here's this rabbi hanging out with all these sinners. I want to say something about the Pharisees because the Pharisees are going to play a big part in this story 
of Jesus. A big part in the book. And it's so easy for us, right? We love to look down on everybody in the Bible. Look at the Pharisees. They're so religious. They think they're better than everybody else. Friends, do not fall into that trap. Because that's us. We are just like the Israelites and we're just like the Pharisees. We think that we are better than everyone else. The name Pharisee means separate ones. They were the religious leaders. They were the faithful to the church. They looked the best when they came to church. They gave the best when they came to church. They believed deep down that they had some needs, but overall they were pretty good. They ticked off a lot of boxes when it came to what God was looking for. They were moral. They, were, they tithed. They showed up to church on time. They obeyed the law. They even added to the law. That's how good they were. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than anyone. But when I was a kid, this is how I remembered a Pharisee. Because they were far, you see, from the heart of God. As they criticized Jesus and the people he hung out with, Jesus reveals to them who he came to call. Because our healing king is a willing king and a forgiving king, and he is a calling king. And Jesus is not interested in good people. He's not interested in those who just need him to get over the hump. They're pretty good. I just need a little bit of oomph at the end to get me into heaven. These are the people that think that they are good and honest and moral, and then they just need a little bit of Jesus sprinkles on their life. Jesus did not come to save those people who size themselves up against others and say things like this. Maybe you've said this. I know I've said this. Hey, listen, I'm not perfect but I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Jesus came, he said, not for the well, but for the sick. Not for the righteous, but for the sinner. The lowest of the low. The spiritual lepers and crippled and outcast. The ones that can't save themselves, who see their sin and say, there's no way I can get out of this. I am hopeless without your grace and salvation. The one that we read from Psalm 34, who cries out to the Lord, who is brokenhearted, who is crushed in spirit. That is who Jesus came to save. Friend, do you believe that? The kingdom of God that we're a part of it's not a kingdom where we look down on everyone else. It's a kingdom that proclaims that you are saved from the world for the world. Do you find yourself more attracted to theology about the king than the king? Does your theology point you always to Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing and what he is going to do? Do you find yourself stacking people up against yourself? Have you forgotten that you too are a sinner and need grace? Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you think that your sin is just too deep. It's too much. 
You aren't sure whether he is willing to forgive you. My friend, Jesus came exactly for you. And that's why we come to this table. Because whether you are focused on your status or whether you're focused on your sin, whether you're saying, well, I'm doing pretty good right now, or whether you say, man, I'm a mess right now. Take your eyes off yourself and put them onto Jesus. That is why we come to this table, because all eyes have to be on the king who is healing, who is willing to forgive, and is calling you now. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the table, we think about We think about those men on that roof, ripping open that roof desperately to get their friend in front of Jesus. And then we think about at the baptism, Jesus, where the heavens are torn apart and God, you came to us because nothing can stop your love for us. Jesus, set our eyes upon you now as we come to the table. Let us see that you are willing, that you are able, and that through the cross, you have totally and completely forgiven us. And remind us, as we come to this table, that it is by grace we are saved. We pray these things in your name, amen.